Alleluia, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel for this Reign of Christ Sunday is found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. On this Reign of Christ Sunday, I've been thinking about some of those first stories in Hebrew Scripture that tell about Israel's desire to have a king like all the other nations. And it began when the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow you in any way, so appoint for us a king, a king to govern over us like all the other nations. This didn't sit well with Samuel. And when he complained to God about it, however, God said, Listen to the voice of the people. Give them what they want. Samuel obeyed, but it did not stop him from telling people what he thought would happen. Samuel said, you think that this is going to be good for everyone, but here's what I predict. I predict that your newly appointed king will use all of the power you give him for personal gain. I predict that instead of taking care of you, he'll only be concerned about himself and a little inner circle of people around him who are loyal to him. I predict, Samuel said, that 
He'll build up armies just to keep himself secure with your sons and your daughters. And he'll take whatever he wants from you and give it to the few who are already wealthy. The people didn't listen to Samuel. And they got their first king in Saul. To make a long story short, things did not go well. Then came David, who held all the promise of a completely new kind of king. A king who would care for the people like a shepherd cares for his flock. And the hope, of course, is that David and every other king that came after him would break the mold, that they would rule actually in a way that used power unselfishly, generously, and most of all, that they would focus always on the most vulnerable sheep in the flock as a good shepherd. Going forward, that became the expectation for every king of Israel, especially in the eyes of the prophets who never stopped referring to kings as shepherds. It didn't matter what else the kings conquered. If they didn't conquer the urge to use their power in self-serving ways, if they didn't conquer their lust for personal wealth, if they didn't conquer the desire to build security for themselves, while others fell prey to sickness and poverty and hunger, then kings heard about it in no uncertain terms from the prophets who were chosen to speak God's word to them. Are you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, Ezekiel says. You've not provided food for others. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strayed. You've not sought out the lost. Jeremiah echoes those same harsh words of critique for kings and rulers at the beginning of our first reading today. Speaking for God, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. And then, like Ezekiel, he delivers a strong word of hope for all of those who have been left out in the cold by self-serving leaders. Since you shepherds failed miserably, God says, I myself will take care of the flock. And in time, I will raise up new shepherds, including one who will reign as a king and execute justice and righteousness in the land. When we celebrate the reign of Christ Sunday today, we join the one lone voice in that gospel reading for today, the one person who looks at Jesus and sees the fulfillment of that divine promise. It's quite startling, really. Everyone else in Luke's story has a very rational, practical view of things. They see what is obvious. They see the reign of Caesar. They see a country and a people that's been conquered by fear and by intimidation. And they see what the world looks like when it's governed by people who have been conquered themselves 
by greed and by ambition and lust for more and more power. So how in the world did that one lone criminal see something else? How did a man being crushed by the reign of Caesar see the domination and the dominion of Jesus in the midst of all of that worldly power? And where did he get the inspiration to say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? My best guess is that his world was turned upside down when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Perhaps he had never witnessed power like that before. Perhaps he'd never seen what it looks like when that kind of force, a force of love within a human being, conquers every need to get revenge, every urge to hate. Whatever the case, he knew what he was witnessing, and he knew that was the kingdom that he wanted to be in with Jesus. When we go back through the whole gospel story that has been told throughout this church year, we see that force at work in every aspect of Jesus' life and ministry. It is a force within him that conquered every urge that he may have had as a human being to use power for himself. It's a force that conquered anything within him that would have succumbed to the male-dominant, ethnocentric, intolerant ways of so many people. It's a force within him that drove him to see the vulnerable and to reach out to them. I think it's the force that drove Jesus to feed the hungry, to strengthen the weak, to heal the sick, to bind up the injured, to bring back the strayed, to seek out the lost like every king of Israel was supposed to do. It was a force that conquered also his fear of rejection, of punishment, even his fear of death at the hands of false shepherds who were driven by their own self-interest. But that was then, and this is now. So what are we to say on this Sunday, which rests on the promise that the reign of Christ is still a transforming force in the world that we live in? To begin with, we can ask if we too see what that criminal beside Jesus saw in the moment that Luke records for us. We can ask if we see the force of love conquering the need to get revenge or the urge to hate in any part of the world today. We can ask if we see any examples before us of selfishness being conquered by compassion and by concern for the neighbor. Any examples of greed being conquered by a spirit of generosity, of complacency being conquered by a fiery commitment to justice, of fear of the other being conquered by joyful acceptance, any examples of despair being conquered by hope or of deep hurt being conquered by 
the healing power of forgiveness and love and grace. If we see any of these things, I say we see the reign of Christ and we know that his kingdom is indeed breaking in around us and within us. And to be honest, I wouldn't be standing here today, I'm sure I wouldn't be part of the church of Jesus Christ if I did not see those signs of the kingdom in the world around me. If I didn't see love or compassion or generosity or acceptance or forgiveness or grace, I know I would be like the first criminal in our gospel story today who felt nothing but hopelessness and despair. And there are times, I admit, when his view, his rational view, is the only one that does seem real to me. Just this past week when I heard that elementary school children had painted whites only on bathrooms at their school, that middle school students had stood together to make a wall in the hallway so that Hispanic classmates couldn't pass through, that a university student threatened a Muslim class classmate telling her to remove her hijab or be set on fire, that swastikas have been painted this last week on places of worship for Jews and Christians, and that women have experienced more frequent and intense expressions of male sexual aggression, I felt and feel like saying to God, well, if you're so powerful, then why don't you just put a stop to all of this now? And then I saw again what the second criminal saw from his place beside Jesus. On each day of the week, I saw and heard about powerful examples of God's reconciling love and grace. And if I had even one to go on, it would have been enough. It would have been enough to simply hear about a young man who intervened when he saw a woman being harassed on the subway. When he came to her aid, the aggressor pushed him to the ground and kicked him. And because of his clothing and his skin color, others on the subway shouted, go back to your country. Some called him a terrorist. But many, many more were inspired by his example. After a passenger pulled the emergency alarm to stop the, the subway, the aggressor fled, but that young man was comforted by the fact that a large group of people stayed with him for hours to corroborate his testimony, to express their solidarity with him. If one person abused me, he said, there were 10 who stood beside me and thanked me for doing the right thing. We pray, of course, that unselfishness like that would reign in the hearts and minds of people around the world. And we stand ready, like the prophets, to even demand that kind of unselfish behavior on the part of leaders at every level. But we pray most of all that the love and the compassion which inspires it would reign in us, day in and day out, so that we might be with Christ 
in his kingdom. Not just at some distant time in some unknown place, but here in this place where he rescues us from the power of darkness and brings us into his marvelous light. In the hope of that promise, I say, thanks be to God.